Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. You know, there are some things in life that simply work, and we don't always have uh, a clear understanding of, of why it works the way that it does. We don't understand all the details of how, uh, how it comes about. Uh, I'm, I'm using this, this iPad right now for uh, my notes for this morning, and I know, I know enough about it to know how to operate it, but if I had to take pop the back off this thing and make repairs on it, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Uh, I, I couldn't explain to you how this is somehow working with the Wi-Fi routers around this building right now to make sure that I can see my notes on this screen when I look at it, when I move my finger around on the screen. I couldn't explain all that to you. I just know I open it up and it works. Uh, maybe for you it's, it's your car, and you like your car, you drive it every day, but you know if you were driving it somewhere and it started smoking, it started making sounds you didn't recognize, you would be in a whole, whole lot of trouble. Uh, there's some things in the world we just don't understand. Maybe, I don't know, maybe for you it's, it's a meal that you like, and there's a place you like to go in town, and you go there every day, or not every day, well, maybe you do, I don't know what your eating habits are. Maybe you have a, a place that you like to go eat, and you have a, one thing that you always order every time you go there, but if you're being honest, you're never going to try to cook it for yourself. You don't know all the ingredients that go into it. You don't know uh, the process of preparing it. You just know you go to the restaurant, you order it, it comes to your table, you enjoy that process, and you praise God because of it. There are some things in the world that, that we, do, we don't understand. No one's an expert on everything. We all have our blind spots, things that, that don't make perfect sense to us. We just assume that they're going to work. And really, probably one of the things that was so disorienting about COVID was that we had all these things that we just assumed would always work, and then suddenly they didn't. Or maybe they did, and they just looked way different than they did before, whether it was you know, how we went to school, how we came to church how we got our groceries, how we picked up prescriptions, whatever it might be. There's things in the world that we don't understand. We just assume that it works, regardless of whether or not we understand the entire process. In the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, uh, we're going to see Jesus tap into that idea and make the case to us that His kingdom works in the same way. Uh, We're in this series, you can see on the screen, called Jesus Stories. We have been looking at these parables of Jesus, these stories Jesus tells to try to help us get a sense of who he is and what his kingdom is like. If you were here last week, you know we started making our way through this long section of teaching Jesus gives that is virtually just one long sermon where he is telling parables, telling stories. He gets interrupted a couple times where he quotes from the Old Testament. He explains some things along the way, but for the most part, he is just telling stories, calling his hearers to invest in what he is saying so that they can experience life in his kingdom for themselves. Last week, we looked at the first parable in this sermon. Jesus tells this story of a farmer sowing seed in a field and all the different types of soil that are within that field and how they all respond differently to the seed that has been sown. And Jesus walks us through that story and shows us that this is how things work within his kingdom. People respond in in different ways. And the parable we're going to look at today, it might be helpful for us to think of it as Jesus maybe zooming in a little bit on that parable we looked at last week to explain a little more the process of what is taking place as the seed responds, as it's sown, and, and grows. 
because this process of what it looks like to respond to the message of God's kingdom is not always as clear, as straightforward as we would like or assume, and yet through that process, what we find is that God always continues to grow a harvest. But the thing that at least I find interesting about this parable, for whatever that's worth, is that Mark is the only gospel who tells us about it. I mentioned last week that this section of teaching that we're going to be looking at, we started last week and we'll look at for a couple more weeks, we're told about it in three different places. We're told about it in Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 8. And yet, for whatever reason, all the gospel writers are selective. And for some reason, Mark is the only one who feels like this parable's worth including. Of course, we know that the, the, the four Gospels are not comprehensive. They, none of them claim to tell us every little thing that Jesus ever did during his entire life, and, and they all are, are, are doing specific things. John tells us that if you were to write down everything Jesus said and did, the world could not contain the books that would be written. So these Gospels are selective, and yet for whatever reason, Mark selects this parable, and Matthew and Luke do not. And I want to come back to that question of why Mark thinks this parable is worth including and the other gospel writers don't. But for now, just tuck it away in your minds. We're going to be in the gospel of Mark today, verses 26 to 29. If you have a Bible and want to follow along or read the words on the screen. The text says that he, meaning Jesus, also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. We will find that Jesus very often begins his parables with this expression that begins this story or something similar to it. He will say something along the lines of, this is what the kingdom is like. And he, he does that often to show us that he is painting a quick picture for us, to give us an insight into something about this kingdom that he is bringing into the world. And like I said, this is the building off of the parable we looked at last week where Jesus was describing these different soils that represent different people and how they respond to his message. And if you can picture it uh, with me, that, that, that that parable, the parable of the sower from last week, is like one big diagram that Jesus has shown us. Now he is zooming in a little more closely. He's maybe, maybe we could say he's taking us underground, taking us under the soil, so that we can look at what the seed is doing after it has been sown as it responds to the message of Jesus. As the seeds that are sown begin to take root and grow, they eventually produce a crop. But while that happens, the farmer who sows the seed, if you notice, Jesus says he has very little role to play in this process, if he has any role to play at all. He, he, he scatters the seed. It just sort of continues from there. The farmer goes about his daily life, the seed does what it's supposed to do, and eventually it comes time for the harvest and the work is completed, and Jesus tells that story, and he says that's how things are in his kingdom. And my guess is that at least some of us might react to that story from Jesus the way that a fair number of commentators have reacted to that story over the years, and that is to say something along the lines of, Jesus, you're not describing reality here. I mean, any farmer who just scatters a bunch of seed in the field and then just forgets about the field until it's time to harvest, that's the worst farmer on the face of the earth. 
And to a certain extent, that critique might be fair. Jesus is maybe exaggerating a little bit here, and that happens at times in his parables, and that's a reminder for us that Jesus is telling us fictional stories to make a specific point. But pointing out that Jesus' summary of this farmer's process might not be completely accurate, it does not mean he is not making a valid point. Remember, we all have things in the world that, that just happen. We might not understand the ins and outs, every last detail of how it comes about. And sure, this farmer might understand the process of how a seed is planted and it eventually grows and sprouts and comes up out of the ground and grows into a full head of grain and then is harvested. But that knowledge is hypothetical compared to the actual physical process taking place of those seeds in the ground. The farmer might have a general idea of what's happening, but it's not like he perfectly knows the status of every seed in the field at any given moment between planting and harvesting. And sure, there are things that, that the farmer can do. He can irrigate his field. He can fertilize it. He can spray for weeds. He can do those kinds of things. But it's not like he can bend over and yell at the seeds and make them grow faster. He simply creates as fertile of an environment as possible that can then allow the seeds to flourish. And in that space in between, the seed simply does what God created it to do, and that is to grow. It's this natural process the farmer can, can't change or manipulate, at least not completely. It's just something that happens. Jesus says in verse 28 that the soil produces grain all by itself. That's how our English uh, translation we read from this morning puts it. In the, the, in the original language, it says that the soil produces grain. The word is automate. And you might hear in that our English word automatic. That's the process of seed growing into a crop, simply progressing into what it was created to be. And as that is taking place, life carries on. At least in the early going, it seems like there isn't a whole lot happening. I mean, if you've ever looked at a field or a garden after seeds have been planted, you probably know in, intuitively in your head that seeds have just been planted and they're doing their thing and eventually they will come up. But if you, for whatever reason, didn't know that process, didn't know that's how things worked, you might look at a field that's just been planted and think, it just looks like a bunch of dirt. What's going on here? Not a whole lot is happening. And, and for a time, life just carries on. It seems like there's nothing that has happened in this field. And then things start to change. Sprouts begin to come up. And slowly but surely, things happen. And notice in these verses, if you still have your Bible open in front of you, notice how much detail Jesus gives to describe this process of growing. Jesus knows what it's like to walk by a field every day and, and wait and anticipate that growth. The salt comes up, then a head of grain starts to form. Eventually, you have a full head, and it's ready for harvest. And in the waiting, things have been at work. And at the end of the season, it all pays off with the harvest. And when the harvest comes, the seed has reached what it was intended to be, and the farmer gathers it in. And this is the story Jesus tells. And we could stop and say, well, that's a nice parable about, you know, the value of patience and perseverance and things like that. But remember, Jesus began this parable with saying, this is what the kingdom is like. In some way, what Jesus, this story Jesus tells us is intended to show us what it's like within his kingdom. 
like how seeds are planted, and it might not seem obvious anything is happening, but eventually a harvest comes. Jesus says that this is how the kingdom of God works. And the way the kingdom functions always looks strange compared to our human tendencies. I mean, when you hear talk of the kingdom of God, I don't know what comes to your mind. My guess is when you hear language of a kingdom, your mind immediately goes to the idea of a king sitting on a throne in a palace with a big standing army to protect his interests at all costs. I mean, that's how kings are supposed to work. If you hear this language of, you know, the son of God is coming and he's going to establish a kingdom, I don't know about you, your mind might immediately go to a story like someone from history like Alexander the Great who shows up on the scene, the son of a king, and he has this great army and revolutionary military strategy and tactics, and he flies across the world conquering, conquering all kinds of lands, establishing a massive empire that the world had never seen before. Maybe that's what your mind goes to when you think of a kingdom. Or maybe your mind doesn't go to that. You're a little more modern. You, know, you don't go to the Middle Ages or ancient history to think of a kingdom, but you go to you know, how nations work in our day. Maybe you think of uh, politicians or someone who is a good negotiator, a good diplomat, establishing good relations between their, nations, their nation and other nations, good trade deals, alliances, whatever you want to call it, uh, making all of these moves to strengthen their position, uh, the, the, the standing of their kingdom in the world. Uh, those are the ways our world thinks about nations, kingdoms, whatever we want to call them. And those are the terms by which we measure whether or not a kingdom is successful. It's always down to increasing uh, standing, economy, increasing control by force if necessary. That's how the kingdoms of our world work. And Jesus' kingdom looks drastically different from any other kingdom that has ever existed. Uh, the, hear me, this kingdom has a king, that is to be sure, and it is Jesus, and Jesus is on his throne, he is reigning over all things, and yet, like how a seed going down into the ground looks strange and unimpressive on the surface, the way Jesus goes about growing his kingdom in the world does not look like how the kingdoms of our world work. I mean, most kings are born in a palace. Jesus is born in a stable next to farm animals laid in a feed trough. Most kings have all the best resources available to them from a young age. Jesus is born into a poor young family. The couple's not even married yet when Jesus is born. Most kings have years of training preparing them for the day when they will take the throne. Jesus, from everything we can tell, was just a carpenter. So one day he started teaching, proclaiming this message of the kingdom of God. Most kings succeed through conquering, taking their thrones with great uh, pomp and circumstance and celebrating and, and displays of power and prominence and all of these things. Jesus conquers by dying the death of a criminal on the cross. I mean, most kings, when they reach the end of their life, they appoint a clear successor to take over after them. They establish a family line, a dynasty, so that their legacy might continue Jesus and trust his kingdom to 12 imperfect disciples. And if you were to look at the ministry of Jesus, if you were to look at the work of the early church, there's little about it that might make us think it had the potential for staying power. And yet, like a seed being planted in the ground, this small group of imperfect people armed with a message that this carpenter from Nazareth 
who proclaimed the message of the kingdom of God had died and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, that group went out into the world like a seed planted in the ground, sharing, proclaiming the message of Jesus. And more and more people heard it. More and more people responded and said yes to following Jesus. And it was roughly 300 years after Jesus was sentenced to death by a government official of the Roman Empire that the emperor of that same empire had become a follower of Jesus. The work might be slow and unimpressive on the surface, but God was and is growing a harvest. And we are a part of that harvest, both in the sense that God is at work in us and that God calls us to be a part of planting seeds and bringing in that harvest. And as we pursue that goal, we might want to look for ways that are more efficient, ways that are new and improved, and I'm not against anything that is new, but we should be careful when we think that just because something is new and flashy and claims to get better results, that it is automatically better, because when we read Scripture, the kingdom of God rarely works on those terms. I fully understand the, the temptation to want to run to the latest trend. I fully understand the frustration that comes when things don't move as quickly as we would like, and at the same time, when we experience those temptations, those frustrations, Jesus reminds us that just as a farmer goes about his business and sows the seed and waits for the harvest while the seed does what it was created to do, we go about our business of trusting in God, faithfully walking with him day by day, knowing that God is at work and will bring about a harvest. I've heard Isaac say that if he ever writes a book, he's going to call it Life at the Speed of Church which I think is a great title for a book, and I'm telling you all about it now so you know if you ever see someone else write that book, you can know I had the idea first. That was a joke. Uh, <laughs> but the speed of the kingdom of God, uh, this, the, this, the speed of the church, is different from the speed of our world. The, the work of God's kingdom rarely progresses as quickly, as efficiently as we would like, which is difficult in a world where everything is me measured on efficiency and productivity. And yet if we find ourselves frustrated that Jesus isn't as efficient and as productive as we would like, that is probably a sign that we need to check ourselves more than we need to be angry at Jesus. I'm sure every adult in this room has experienced a moment at some point of thinking, gosh, I am whatever age that you are. Why is this still a problem? Why am I still struggling with this? How am I not more mature than I am? And if you're a kid and you haven't experienced that yet, just file this away and wait, because that day will come. And hear me, I'm not trying to excuse bad behavior. I'm not trying to say it's okay to not desire to look like Jesus. I say that to acknowledge that God is at work, and that work is not always easy and simple, but, but Jesus desires that each and every one of us would grow into someone who has been formed to look and act like him. And he calls us to faithfully walk with him as we participate in that work in us and in our world. And that means that no matter what happens, no matter what we do, it is done as God works in and through us. I hear a lot of conversations that are fearful about the future. 
Whether it's fearful about the future of the church, we look around, we hear of churches closing, we hear about churches not being able to find ministers to hire, we worry that, that it's all going downhill, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, we have fears about our own lives, we have fears about our nation as a whole, our kids, our grandkids, what we're leaving behind for them, fearful of all of these things. And hear me, I'm not saying that those fears aren't legitimate, I'm not saying that actually the world's perfect and you just need to get over it, I'm not saying any of those things at all, but what I worry about is that when we have those conversations and we don't have them from the standpoint of remembering that Jesus is on his throne, when we have those conversations as if everything depends on us, we are missing the message of the kingdom of God. I'm not saying we're not allowed to have concerns. I'm saying we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is in control, that God is still growing seeds, and he will bring in a harvest. He will accomplish his purposes, and that is where we put our confidence. And we have that confidence because of how this parable ends. Jesus consistently uses this idea of a harvest in his parables to talk about the end of time. We'll actually look at that a little more next week in the next parable in this sermon. But, but Jesus doesn't elaborate on it all that much here, but he doesn't want us to miss where this is headed. The end result of this seed growing, even if we don't know all the details of how it comes about, the goal is that God would gather in this harvest of his people. That is the end goal of the work of God in his kingdom. That's what all of our work is moving towards. One day the harvest will occur. One day the vision at the end of the book of Revelation will be realized. Christ will return and will make all things new. And for everything else we might think, see, and do, we should absolutely never lose sight of that end. God is at work in and among us with the end goal being that sin and death would one day be done away with for all time so that God and his people might dwell with him forever. So if that's the purpose of this parable, I want to reflect again on why Mark is the only gospel that includes it. Because if Mark is the only gospel to include this parable, that must mean that it serves some purpose within this story of Jesus that he's telling and we can't work out every uh, detail of the purpose of the gospel of Mark this morning unless you all want to be here far longer than I assume you do. But if you were to sit down and read through the entire gospel of Mark, which I would encourage you to do, and I know Fred told you to read the gospel of Mark, uh, or the gospel of Luke a couple weeks ago, but you can do both. It'll be okay. Um, if you were to sit down and do that, you would find that in the gospel of Mark, time and time again, people don't understand Jesus consistently across the gospel of Mark. People question Jesus. They wonder why he's doing what he's doing. They don't understand what he's saying. Even the disciples don't get Jesus time and time again. People uh, will, will argue with Jesus. Jesus will tell someone to do something, and they'll go do the exact opposite time and time again. This, this keeps happening. No one understands Jesus in the gospel of Mark until we get to the cross. In Mark 15, 39, Jesus is hanging on the cross and a Roman centurion who is there, one of the men responsible for putting Jesus to death on Good Friday, he sees Jesus dying, he looks around at, at Jesus, at everything else taking place. Rome, or Mark 15, 39 says, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. No one understands Jesus in the Gospel of Mark until... We get to the cross. No one understands Jesus, and yet his work 
continues. He continues to scatter seeds. He continues to proclaim this is what the kingdom is like. He continues to show who he is and what he has come to the earth to accomplish. And we get the full understanding of what that means when we see Jesus on the cross. We might not understand the process of the growth of the kingdom. We, we might think the kingdom looks far different from the way that our world looks, and yet God continues to work in us and in our world. And we see that fully realized when we look at the cross. The cross is our foundation. When we look and see Jesus giving his life for us, we see the reason why Jesus came to bring about this kingdom. This kingdom came for us so that we might grow into what God has created us to be. And so the cross informs how we live as we grow into the harvest of the kingdom and how we lead others in to be a part of that kingdom harvest. So as we reflect on this parable and what it means for us, the takeaway is not there's nothing for us to do. God's doing his thing. Just sit back and enjoy it. That's not the point at all. The takeaway is that everything we do is done in response to who God is and what he is already doing. And we get the clear sense of who God is and what he is doing when we see Jesus giving his life for us on the cross. The cross doesn't look impressive by human standards. In fact, it looks like a complete failure. And yet, it is the means through which God delivers salvation to the world. The kingdom of God is formed around the cross. And that might not look as flashy or as exciting as our world says things have to be in order to be important and to matter. And yet, God has never asked for human input. He is growing seeds. Seeds that will become a harvest that will set right what is wrong in our world. And he is inviting us to be a part of it. And so because that is the case, we as God's people respond by walking with him day by day. Paul picks up on some of this same imagery in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, when he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And a lot of people will point out, and I think it's right, the thing about a fruit, the thing about fruit, the thing about a harvest is that it rarely comes across easily, or it rarely comes about through us trying really hard. Fruit, harvest, it simply is the byproduct of things growing into what they were created to be. And these traits Paul describes here, us as we walk with Jesus, as we grow to be more like him, not because we're trying really hard to make ourselves better people, but because we are walking with Jesus day by day. I was once told by a leader in a church, not this church, but I was once told by a leader in a church, you know, I'm just not a very patient person. And I thought about it later. It's a good thing I thought about it later for the sake of everyone involved. But if patience, or to use the the language the NIV uses there in the verses we just read, if forbearance, bearing with one another, being patient with one another, if that's a fruit of the Spirit, we don't get to just say it's not for us and get rid of it. If we truly have the Holy Spirit in us, if we are truly desiring to walk with God day by day, if we are waking up every morning asking God how he wants to use us in that day, we don't get to just pick and choose what aspects of the character of Christ we want to be like. 
We simply walk with him as he grows us more into the image of God. Now again, I want to qualify what I'm saying because I am not saying following Jesus is just a process of behavior modification. I'm not saying that each year you have to do an evaluation here like you have to do at your job and, and figure out your goals, how you've accomplished your goals from the past year, what you want to improve on in the next year, and if you're not good enough, you get kicked out. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not calling you to earn your salvation. I'm calling you to walk with Jesus. I'm calling you to allow Jesus to grow this kingdom harvest in you as you walk with him day by day. So if you need encouragement, if you're unsure about what those next steps look like and you need someone to pray for you or to talk with you about that, that's what I'm here for. That's what our elders are here for. We would love to walk with you through whatever it is that you might be dealing with. Maybe God has been at work in you for some time now and sowing seeds in your life and those seeds are beginning to grow and it is time for them to sprout. Time to respond to what God is doing in your life and to say yes to following Jesus for the first time. And if that's you, let's have a conversation about it. Don't let this moment pass because God is worthy, as we've already sung this morning, He is worthy of all of our praise, all of our allegiance for all time. So we should bow the knee to Him and allow Him to work in us as He grows seeds in us into a kingdom harvest so that when the harvest comes, we all might participate in the celebration of God's purposes being brought to completion. Let's pray. God, we thank You that in the waiting, whether it's the Israelites wandering in the wilderness in the Old Testament, whether it's us longing for Your return today, that in those moments, You are at work. You are growing a harvest within us, and we trust as we walk with you day by day that you will accomplish your purposes. So as we are confident that you will do that, Father, we ask that you would help us respond in faith to you. God, we want to serve you. We want to follow you wherever you lead. Give us eyes to see the ways you are at work within us as you are growing seeds within us. Give us um, perception to how you are at work uh, in the world around us and the people around us. Help us to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. And we might handle well the opportunities we have to participate in the work of your kingdom. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 